the chill running through the studio, folks, but that's not going to stop us. It's episode 125 of the Uticast, and this week we are joined by Jeremy W. Earl from The Root Farm. Uh, also this week we're going to be talking about the weird sleazy goings-on of the United States. It still just gets worse and worse every week, folks. Uh, we're also going to be talking about Taylor Swift, talking about Gail Godot. We're going to talk about some history lessons, Snapchat, uh, Twitter, all of that, plus much, much more, folks. The Uticast, we are happy to have you. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what I've never really, really heard it till today. Zilla? Well, it's got Godzilla. He's yeah, like I know Godzilla, but like... I don't know, I do it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you do it a lot. Just about everything. Zilla? Yeah. Everything Zilla? I mean, when you can. Okay. <laughs> when it fits that in. That phone is Zilla. No. No, 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 if you had a giant, no, no, if you had a giant phone, I'd be like, what is that, phonezilla? Do you know what I mean? That's, okay, that would be it, how you it, would I use it, it in context. Moving on. It was coffee cup. This is a coffee it's a cupzilla. Very, that's it's huge. Cupzilla. Cupzilla. See, that was good. See, she got it. No. No, it's not cool when I say it is a... No, it's not an adjective. It's a noun. Welcome to your show. Welcome back to the show, folks. Episode 125. Uh, I am back once again. I am your host, Sam Famolaro, host, producer, whatever fake title I can slap on myself. Joined, as always, by the beautiful Heather. What's going on? What? How's it going today? Is the darkness I, affecting I mean, you? Not. Was, I'm tired, right? <laughs> but I'm happy it snowed. You know what? I, I'll get this out right now because I know people are already going to start complaining they saw snow this morning. When I saw snow this morning, I was actually like, mm-hmm, yep. I like it. I actually started thinking about Christmas. I dug it this morning. Yeah, that's what I, I said, too. I was happy. Too. I was like, yeah, let's do this. I want some cocoa, I want some Christmas tree, I want everything. Yeah, it felt, it felt good this morning. Will it continue to be as wistful and uh, romantic and charming in the time to come? Well, yeah. stand by. Remain, <laughs> remain, <laughs> remains to be seen. Uh, Kevin, you're also here. What's going on, big guy? Yeah, here I am. Here you are. Here I am. Enjoying some coffee? Uh, some really good coffee. It's good, isn't it? I don't it's, know where you got this one from. It's, it's nice delicious. To have co- I don't even know what coffee this is. No. I just drink whatever's in the pot that's hot. And um, <laughs> it is good with it being so cold and dark. I find that coffee is creeping into my evenings. I'm not totally comfortable yet with the way the darkness has creeped in. I know it happens. It's been happening for at least 31 years. I at least. It's never comfortable. It's, it takes me a little while to yeah, adjust. because your day ends faster. It so. was also, I think, I was saying this to somebody at work today, it's tough because it was really warm into the fall, then it got cold and dark on, like, the same day. <laughs> yeah. like, it was it just, really like, did. all of a sudden, just snap. I mean, I think only a couple weeks ago, it was, like, 75. People were in shorts. We're, like, crazy. Hmm. So, uh, I have a couple quick uh, points I want to hit before we get to the top stories of the week. Are you guys ready for them? Depends on what it's going to lead into. Well, quick notes about <laughs> life here. Uh, number one, uh, my car is in the shop. Uh, so is ours. Yeah. Well, what's wrong with yours? Um, the muffler just fell off. Oh, that's always was, nice. Like, Zach was climbing yesterday, took a picture, sent to me, and the muffler was laying on the ground. Uh, that's always disheartening. Yes. 
How bad is that one gonna? Don't hear? know yet. Don't know yet. Don't hmm. know. We were correct. It is a ball joint. Is that? I what told I, you. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I heard that noise. Do I have a ball my, joint. Nothing. My car just started sounding like. Sound like a squeaky mattress. Like yeah. anytime okay. it moved, anytime okay. the car would move, it would just be like. It's squeak, not a squeak, good squeak. thing. No, it's not <laughs> it's great. Not good. Uh, so it's funny. Well, I'll tell you how they tried to scam me. Though, you ready for this? So they tried to scam me today, because. Um, I called in there today when I dropped the car off, and they're like, okay, well, it's going to be the, the ball joint. And I was like, yep. And they're like, it's also these two other things, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, yep. And they said, so your estimate's going to be $467. And I go, yeah, but how much is that after my, my all-inclusive warranty? And they're like, oh, hang on a second. Is, this, these are both covered? Okay, so this is going to be under your warranty. Uh, you know, you might want to get your tires replaced oh, while you're I was like, nah. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I, let's just worry about these two things. You Interesting need to how you didn't bring that up to me. Yeah, funny. That I don't yet owe you any money. Yeah, funny. Funny you say that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, cars in the shop. I am carless at the moment. It's a little... Uh, uh, favorite recurring scenario on the podcast. One of our favorite what? recurring segments. on the podcast. You crashed your car. This has been the car. first... Well, this has been the first time that I've had anything with this car since I've owned okay. it. And to be fair, this is the first time as an adult that I've had it covered where I went to the car that's dealer. I'm like, yeah, fix my car. <laughs> Do yeah, it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, come on. I'm sure that puts you right to the front of the service line. Oh, yeah, it'll be done next week. <laughs> Tune in next week when I get my car back, potentially. Uh, also, um, I just want to give a quick shout-out very quickly for a very small portion of our Uticast listeners and community who know this woman. Uh, Dolores Dorzinski, my aunt... Uh, was the head of the Proctor Math Department for uh, many, many years. She won uh, Nutty County Teacher of the Year in 95, 96, back in the day. She's a wonderful calculus teacher. She dragged many students at Proctor High School from a certain age through calculus for people who weren't very good at it, uh, including GFOPs, uh, Jeremy Williams, uh, Adam Goldstein, former Mayor Tim Julian, all former, uh, former students of my aunt. Uh, and she moved from Utica after all this time to be with her family in Florida this week so she's no longer around the corner I'm very sad I used to see her all the time oh yeah yeah the one that lived around the corner the one who we had to get the bat out of her house that's true I remember yeah. that had to get a bat out of her house nice lady she talks about that story all the time she, I bet it was funny <laughs> it was a good story uh, so good luck Andy in Florida oh, she's nice and warm so no snow for her She's not totally... She's very sad still. Yeah, well, not, it's hard. It's a long time. It's Plus, Florida is awful. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's another big part of it. Like, Florida's awful. It's like, what, am I in trouble? <laughs> uh, and I guess, last but not least, before we get into the news this week, uh, next week is Thanksgiving, so I guess oh prepare gosh. yourselves for a Thanksgiving-y episode, Thanksgiving week episode. Okay. I'm really looking forward to, in the education department, uh, the Thanksgiving break I'm, I'm going to sure get next are. week. I know you guys... Some of you guys in real jobs don't have... Thanksgiving off for like a whole week, but it's, okay. it's kind of nice. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. yeah I know you all hate me. All that time. Bunch of jerks. I know. All right. Are you guys ready to do some news, some current events? Are you excited for them? I mean, I'm here, and yeah. you're going to talk about some things. Yeah. Well. <laughs> we're going to give you our opinion. Make Heather take notes. Mm. Well, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Where do I start? All right, according to my notes, the world continues to fall into a sleazy, terrible abyss this week. Uh, continuing <laughs> from, about right. from last week's uh, <laughs> descent into the abyss. Uh, I don't know why I assumed the world would get any less sleazy and gross since last time we talked, but it has not. Spoiler alert. Um, there's a lot of ways we can go with this, but I guess let's start with the, the political side of it. Uh, 
even today, as I was updating this news, New York Times, a fifth woman has accused Roy Moore, Republican Senate candidate in Alabama, of making sexual or romantic advances toward her when she was a teenager. Um, some senior Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, uh, are actually calling for him to drop out of the race, uh, saying that he should step aside. McConnell even says he believes the accusers, yeah. which I'm kind of surprised about. Well, I was shocked the truth. when I saw that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't... I guess I... I just... I'm so used to nothing happening that I'm I'm surprised to see so many people... And I rightfully so. It's all gross and skeevy and disgusting. But I'm just surprised to see some some semblance of action actually occurring because of this? I just think because of the Weinstein thing and everything that's been happening lately, mm. I think people are now just really starting to listen and take it ser- more seriously. Everything feels so interconnected now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's important to, to highlight one of the main differences between you know Roy Moore and all the rest of these guys. Nobody came forward to make accusations about him. That's not what happened mm-hmm. here. Mm. The Washington Post investigated reports yeah. later. They did incredible investigative journalism. Um, and, you know, a lot of people in the media get a lot of flack, some of it rightly so, especially the TV side of it. Washington Post has been doing great work for the last year or two, as they had for hundreds of years, but they went out and got 30 independent witnesses corroborating these stories going all the way back and encouraged these people to allow them to come forward and tell their story. And that's really good work on their part. Um, but I think that's a fundamental difference when people try to dismiss this kind of thing out of hand. It's not like somebody's out here making claims, trying to make a buck, even though that's normally something people use to fluff off accusations, that can't even be the case in this situation. Uh, Roy Moore just, you know, dates children and is a pedophile. And it's funny because even when people ask him, that's the one thing he never denied. He never denied having a relationship or doing anything with an underage. He never denied it. He just said whatever this person said isn't true. But he never denied it. Well, because he did it. Yeah, I know. So it's like... Because he he did it. Like, he (laughs) did it with kids. Um, and what's, so what's wild about this, and a lot of the things I've heard from one side of this is the timing is really bizarre because it's a bit too late for the the Republicans to field a true candidate in this race now. Uh, you're talking about a state, uh, that has not elected a Democratic senator in 25 years. Uh, Doug Jones at the moment, I want to say is tied or slightly leading, uh, Roy Moore. This was Jeff Sessions' old Senate seat. Mm -hmm. Yes. It was the seat that he left to Mm -hmm. go, um, commit further crimes against the state as uh, (laughs) a general. For higher, for higher office. (laughs) Always right on. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so this is, uh, this is gross, certainly, uh, and yet somehow, again, the normalization of this Trump administration in this era, uh, it's not any grosser than anything else. I it's feel not like a I shocker really... to hear right now. Oh Sad. man, I gotta say, I don't know the uh, the the banging kids does seem worse. Actually, it does seem gross. It I'm not saying seem like it doesn't. Seem... No, but I think I don't it's know. just more on top of everything else. It just didn't... Mm. <laughs> it's not a shocker. None of it's none of it is. No. is it's all horrifying. Um, uh, let's talk about something that'll make me feel a little better though, because and you can call me a bad person if you want. There's nothing really I like better or makes me feel any better than when Sean Hannity is taking it on the chin. And he's he's been taking it a little bit on the chin uh, for, I guess, he Defending the pedophile. Did you read the defense? show. Did you, I watched did you, it. You watched it? Yeah. Was it, some people were saying horrible. it wasn't, a, was it a straight up, like, just like. It's disingenuous yeah. to say it was anything other than trying to cover for this guy who um, mm. assaults children. Um, so Hannity, who interviewed Moore last week uh, following New York uh, Washington, uh, yeah, Washington Post report, alleged that Moore pursued romantic sexual relationships in his 30s. Uh, he also suggested uh, he deserves a presumption of innocence and that none of us know the truth. Well, of course, none of us know the truth because we weren't there, obviously. 
Uh, as a result, three of the major sponsors, there were actually more, uh, Kerrig, Realtor.com, and uh, Eloquy, as well as another one like 23andMe. I saw a bunch more that actually jumped off today as well. Um, they all uh, responded by pulling their advertisement of the show, and this is my favorite part. Um, the Hannity viewers responded uh, with their boycott uh, Kerrig hashtag on social media. So videos of people <laughs> yeah. smashing their carrig. Why would you? <laughs> Just videos of people. So obnoxious. <laughs> smashing their carrigs with like sledgehammers and being jerks because they carrig somehow had the audacity to stand up to the unflappable <laughs> Sean Hannity. It's a strange world we and live in. He was in. encouraging it on Twitter, Sean Hannity. Like, thanking these people for sticking up for him and encouraging them to keep smashing their Keurig machines. <laughs> Is... Here's the thing. I, I like laughing at Sean Hannity, and he's a piece of shit. Um, is he, like, one of the most, like, important, like, news people in America right now, he's though? He's not a news person. He's not a news no. person, but in the, like, he's a... Is he one of the most important TV personalities, then? If you watch Fox News, and you're... A lot of people do, so yeah, I guess so I see if what you're, you're saying. It's kind of scary, right? Yeah, he's, like, he's the king of bullshit mountain over there right now. Like, mm-hmm. he's their main... He's the main villain. He's the final boss yeah. over there. Well, not maybe not the final yeah. boss, because like Murdoch is the final boss. But he is Shao Kahn to Murdoch's Shang Tsung, <laughs> if that makes sense. I I feel like I just can't wait for the reckoning that's inevitably coming for You him. hope. I don't. Just you, you don't so. think it can get worse, it just I gets feel, worse. I don't even mean the reckoning for him, like I hope something bad happens to him. I mean like the reckoning when... The Republicans at some point in time fall out of like the, the presidentship or whatever when the Democrats get back in office to see the way that he skirts back into the caves and into his troll That's cave. what he wants. Oh, yeah? So you have more... No, yeah, no. Yeah, you yeah. Have to, like, that's what they say. They do a better job and they make more money when they have somebody they can oppose in office. Mm. It's a lot easier to make money and sell advertisement to scared people saying... Obama's the devil who's coming for your guns than it is to have your guys ruling doing a terrible job. It's much easier to write material Mm. when you're the opposition. So he will be just fine when somebody else comes along. I mean, he hasn't... It's not a new phenomenon. This guy's been doing this for 10 years, one of the leading instigating voices in, you know, lying and spreading propaganda to his viewers. Well, that's like something... Do you remember when uh, Jon Stewart was on... uh, on Crossfire years and years ago, mm-hmm. they asked him that question, like, which candidate would you, like, would be better for your show? He's like, the one that doesn't, like, destroy the country. <laughs> and he's like, and he didn't really answer, but, like, I think to a certain extent, like, you look at Saturday Night Live, they're, are they better or worse with Trump in office? They're better off, right? Not necessarily. I mean, they've just, I they just, I, I haven't paid much attention to SNL until the Trump thing, everything hmm, with Trump happened. I'm just saying from my perspective, yeah. I'm actually interested in looking up things now since... Nice. I'm not saying that they are happy that Trump's yeah. in office. I'm just wondering, like, for a show like SNL or for a show like uh, Stephen Colbert, like, they're in a better place with Trump in providing them content than they were with Obama. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, you know what I mean? Just because they liked Obama. You're not going to be as harsh on somebody you like. Right? Well, they're also not, like, a comic book villain. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's not, yeah. they're not, they're, that's, the, that's a fundamental thing, you know, these people. And that's, a, like, a Sean Hanley talking point. The media is not being harsh. On the president, the president Correct. is doing horrible, horrible things. stuff, yes. and horrible jobs. So it's not like, <laughs> yeah. oh, well, they wouldn't be this harsh on Obama. But there's nothing well, to be this it. harsh on him <laughs> about. You can have your qualms with the guy, but he's not doing comically criminal things, like you know, team, <laughs> team, team Trump and the boys. I want to jump to uh, some Hollywood stuff, although it's kind of along the same lines. It's still a little sleazy, but I have a, a general question, and I didn't know where else to put it in this week's episode, so I figure I'll put it here. Do you feel like there is, not a double standard necessarily, but do you think there's a, 
why does there seem to be a difference by the way we perceive like these actors and comedians with the sexual harassment stuff and politicians? Why does it seem like the politicians have so much more leeway when they're both like in the same public sector? Because acting isn't, it's more frivolous, it's easier to get angry about, doesn't have like implications in real life. I would, I would disagree on premise and say that with the exception of a couple things very recently, actors have way more leeway to get away more leeway tons mm-hmm. they've been doing it for decades and everybody knew about it but mm-hmm. nobody cares i mean you look at we've had an impeachment trial of bill clinton over sexual mm-hmm. misconduct alleged like just cheating on his wife yeah had tons of people you know dennis haster getting tossed out of congress you've got um what's the guy who was in the bathrooms uh scooter libby or something like that i think the other republican congressman there's a <laughs> lot of people like that who are politicians who get pulled right. out the only person we seem to have ignored it for is uh, you know, again, the president, mm. who is also a serial uh, harasser and assaulter of women, has been proven. But, like, I think that with politics, you have to hold these people to a higher standard because these people actually make decisions. At the end of the day, what an actor does doesn't have any effect over mm. the people. You know, people mm. in their immediate radius, but they're not in control of making decisions for people. So I think that's why they have traditionally gotten mm. way more rope. And I think the reason they might be getting less now while we're not looking at some of the bigger problems in politics is because they're easier to deal with than the tougher questions we face when you say, hey, you know, what happens when you've got these awful people in positions of power? Let's focus on the stuff that's easier to deal with. I think that's something we're dealing with right now because nobody really wants to roll up the sleeves, get into the depth, and shovel out all the shit. Uh, were you as upset as I was about the Lucy Kay thing? We didn't talk about it last week because it I sort was. of fell in between episodes of the show. Um, I... I loved Louis C.K. stand-up. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It was tough for me because I really did have to like... I was more upset about Spacey than C.K. I was more upset about C.K. than Spacey, I would say, for sure. And, um, and it's funny because he always would talk about masturbating in his stand-up. Yes. Uh, and being, mm-hmm. like, nervous around people and always wanting to. So it's kind of, like, funny that he actually had been saying it for... But it was true. It's weird to me that, like, the first thing that happened when this story came out was I saw a lot of people recontextualizing a lot of this old stuff on like Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of thing. And it does, it it makes what was once like, oh, like his honest, like, you know, confessional, like comedy, it just seems kind of sad and like a cry for help. Not so much disgusting, but sort of like, ugh. Yeah, I feel I felt that, I, I don't know why, watching, what you know he mean? did was terrible, but at the same time, there's part of me felt bad and I didn't want to. I don't, yeah. You know, I was just like, oh, this, why? Like, why you? Why? Do you think it has to do with the fact that his apology was the, oh, he was the first person to give, like, an apology. Yeah, like, within 24 hours, he's like, yeah. I did and it, it not that his apology, like, uh, excuses no. anything, but I think that, like, he's already not, like, getting quite as much shit yeah. as some other people who haven't really, like, did Spacey ever apologize necessarily or just mm-hmm. deflect? Deflect. He just did the deflect Deflect, yeah. Apology. But yeah, Louis C.K. just got pulled off yeah, of HBO just, either today or yesterday. He's, he's done. done. Never will yeah. see him for a long time. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Who you see first, him or Spacey? Spacey, I feel like. I think Spacey will still be hanging around a little bit. No, but, but look at—I mean, look at the comparison of the crimes. That's another thing too. Like mm-hmm. anytime somebody comes up with some sort of sexual misconduct, you know, all of these things are bad and heinous. But there's a wide variety of crimes. I mean, Kevin Spacey is like forcing himself on I'm, underage yeah. boys. Yeah. Louis C.K., you know, whipped it out and masturbated in front of people yeah. against their will. Those things are both horrible, but on a level of scale, I think Louis C.K.'s got a shorter path back to forgiveness than a guy like Kevin Spacey would. I'm just going to throw this at you guys. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't sure if we are going to talk about this, but it sort of gets into context. Um, so there's an interesting story coming out that Kevin Spacey actually can't be ousted from his contract because his contract has no morals clause in it. Like, they have no... That's what I saw. Did you read? I don't know if you saw no, it. Yeah, yeah. It's just... Uh, and... 
so the answer would be like, well, you can fire him. He's he's, still he's an employee, but he's not technically an employee. He's like a, a he's like a contracted yeah. worker. So there's he's still gonna get money. <laughs> I'm not gonna get into all the details I read about this, but let's just say the spacey thing. I feel like is gonna get weird and ugly in a weird way because he's they'd have to pay him a lot of money to just tell him to leave, yeah. and get rid of him, and he'd have no reason other than like public like backlash to not just take his money. Well, they'd probably just do it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it. not yeah. like yeah, it's just it's not you know. It's not my money. If you owe the guy, you got the contract. That you should have done better research. If the man is contracted to be owed this money, you got to pay him. Mm. It sucks. Fair point. Hold your nose while you do it, but mm. just pay him off. Netflix has got mm. the money. All right, so I'll give you one last one. This is sort of along the same lines, but it's a little nicer uh, finality. So according to page six from the New York Daily, so take that for what it is, uh, Gail Godot. Who uh, who is Wonder Woman? In the uh, that movie. was picked up by major outlets today. Oh, was it? That's legit. Yeah. Uh, apparently, will not sign on for the sequel to Wonder Woman until Brett Ratner, whose Rat Pack Dune Entertainment uh, produced the first film, is removed from the project. Uh, Hollywood source says that Godot, who last month backed out of a dinner honoring Ratner, is taking a strong stance on sexual harassment in Hollywood and doesn't want her hit Wonder Woman franchise to be uh, benefit a man accused of sexual misconduct. Uh, this is uh this comes earlier this month there was like six women I want to say who came on record from the LA Times to accuse Ratner and then earlier this week Ellen Page wrote an account about how she was harassed on set for the last X Men movie that she was in with him. Oh yeah, I read that. Yeah, um, so I guess the good for Gail Gadot like flexing her muscle because she's no, in a position where she can should be able to stand up more in Hollywood mm-hmm. now and have more control. Well, this is like this sort of ties into what I was going to say earlier, which is basically. Um, is this the kind of thing that we need to see happen more? People in these positions who have this kind of leverage have to use it for any yeah. real change to last Absolutely. in the long term? Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like this is the kind of thing you'd have to see happen all the time, more and more often, if you really wanted some sort of huge sea change to really happen and not just a band-aid yeah. to it. So, there you go. All right. Shall we... Uh, I think that's pretty good. You guys want to take a break and go to this week's interview? I have, sure. I have less sleazy content after <laughs> after all of this. So give this guy a real nice lead up into his <laughs> wonderful effort. Be like, ah, everybody's hey. touching everybody and everything's gross. And here's, and here's Hollywood's dirty details. <laughs> Enjoy the root farm. <laughs> That's, uh, Jeremy Earl, uh, let me tell you, uh, I think I talked okay. about it a little bit. This is the first time this has ever happened on the show. It was Saturday night. Uh, sorry, Friday night. I went out to dinner at Simeon's with my family for my aunt's farewell dinner. It was beautiful. Got the, uh, the threshing chicken and the, uh, the shish kebab combo platter. It was great. Um, so I get a phone call as I'm walking out of my mom's house and getting in a car from somebody who says, Hello, is this Sam? And I go, Yes. <laughs> Who's this? <laughs> and he goes, It's Jeremy. I go, Williams? He goes, No, Earl. And I go, Wait, is it Earl or is it Jeremy? Who is this? <laughs> so Jeremy was here at the house on Friday for the interview oh. at 5 p.m. that I had scheduled with him two weeks ago that I, for the first time in the show's history, had absolutely blanked on. And I was, I'd never been more embarrassed. I apologized profusely. He was super nice. Uh, turns out he doesn't live that far away from us, so it's not too, it wasn't, it wasn't as big a deal as I'd originally thought that I drove, he drove it all the way from Sequoit at the root farm. Uh, but he was kind enough to come back uh, Saturday morning and have coffee with me after that. So I appreciate, Jeremy, your flexibility. Uh, Let's just get into our interview. Uh, Jeremy Earl, he is the executive director of The Root Farm. We'll be back in just a moment.
You're episode 125, which is uh, I don't I don't care so much about the numbers. Right? Like I don't. I used to care. I used to just, like celebrate every round number, like episode 10, episode 20. <laughs> like, and, and now it's just like I I'm only celebrating the big ones now. But right. um, but in a different time, 125, I would have felt like yeah, this is a good accomplishment number. I made it here. Now all it does is make me think. Wow, 125 straight weeks of me having to run around and like put, put a show together. <laughs> Find people and make this happen. When you, it's funny when I think about it in the context of each episode is one week of my life. It starts to become a little. I start to think about it in a different way. I'm like, really, 125 weeks of my life already. Absolutely. Uh, Jeremy Earl, it is a it's a pleasure to have you in here. Um, I'm very sorry about everything that happened yesterday, and I and I, listen, I can tell. Our listeners, I'm, I've pulled the curtain back. Jeremy was, uh, you're one of the only people in the history of 125 episodes where I was not home when you showed up at the house for an interview <laughs> that we scheduled. And I was, I was horrified. It's never. I just want you to know, I'm not defending my behavior. It was a terrible mover by me. Very unprofessional. But I still feel bad about it. And that. if it's going to happen to somebody, I'm glad it happened with me well, <laughs> because I'm one of the most easygoing, laid back guys you'll meet. Mm. So. Um, not a problem at all, and completely understand that well, things thank happen. You. I uh, I had a okay. You ever go to a surprise party, like a surprise dinner party anywhere? Yes. All right. So I had to go to a surprise dinner party last night for my aunt, who's moving to uh, Florida today. Shout out to my aunt. Um, and <laughs> my mom was really adamant. She's like, "Listen, if your aunt calls." can't make it to the party like you maybe you're not sure don't tell her you're coming <laughs> I said okay so I get home from work yesterday and I'm like oh, I got a couple hours till till dinner I'm gonna hang out maybe play a video game watch TV whatever and I get a phone call about one o'clock and she says alright we're all my mom at the house with, with your aunt you wanna come up and hang out I was like wait a minute I thought <laughs> I'm not supposed I, to I'm I, not, can't, I can't am I here am I not here I don't know <laughs> is uh, this a trick <laughs> so like I, it was a, sort of a cluster the whole time like going to the event who's going who's not going who's supposed to be there for the surprise and in the middle of all that was when I got the phone call, I was like, I, uh, it's too much, I can't handle it. <laughs> so I gotta say, though, you, and I appreciated this at least, you're not too far away from me initially, you're another South Utica guy. Absolutely, yeah. And before we move on to uh, the bulk of the interview, I gotta ask you, my Halloween, we're not that far away from me from Halloween, I got killed down here for Halloween. Did you get, did you get destroyed for Halloween kids? So we have a three, almost four-year-old, mm. so we were kind of out oh, destroying so the neighborhood. Nice. See, that's... <laughs> so, we were out That's doing the trick-or-treating. Uh, it was cold. It was really cold. So yeah. uh, we sat on the front porch mm. and handed out some candy once we got back from doing our own trick-or-treating. And it, it wasn't that bad in our neighborhood. It's a little bit of a Murphy's Law for me over here because I don't, I don't have kids. And I, I love Halloween, so I, I do, you know, I'll, I'll give candy out as long as people will come here. But it's a little bit of Murphy's Law. No matter how much candy I get, it's never enough. <laughs> Unless I get way too much and then I'm sitting on candy for the rest of the year. So do you get your favorite type of candy so that okay. you can eat um, what's left afterwards? Or do you get stuff a, you don't like so you don't eat it? In a perfect world, I would get the candy I like in large quantity and whatever's <laughs> left over, that's for me. Uh, but I am a broke grad student. So I get whatever candy is on sale <laughs> or in some sort of two for five deal, <laughs> okay. right? And I'm like, you're getting milk duds, and that's it. It's just milk duds, kids. That's There's all. Nothing wrong with milk duds. Nothing wrong with milk duds. Nothing wrong with milk duds. But uh, let's say I was choosing fiscally, not okay. with my heart. All right. Did you have a costume this year? I, you know, I'm not a big Halloween guy. Not a guy. No, my uh, my daughter wanted to be a witch, so mm. she dressed up as a witch, and uh, so that was. It's it's about her right now. Okay, I think 
Halloween is the outside of you know, the obvious Christmas holiday season, right? I think Halloween is the the holiday that really it's for the kids, right? Like I feel like I I don't know a ton unless you're going to a Halloween themed party. Right. I don't know a ton of adults who're like I need to. I'm sorry, I gotta get dressed and wear the costume and give out candy tonight. I'm I'm sorry, I have to. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Although there were some adults that came trick or treating past our house, which you, I always feel a little weird about. I did because we had candy, but you know I think there should be like an age cut off, no? I definitely had teenagers with no costumes, which is a which is a, a fine line for me to draw. I'm like, all right, I could sit here and give you a spiel about how you're not really doing this Halloween thing right. But I don't want you to egg into. Yeah, don't egg into my house. So, so here's just you know what, just take this candy in your in your nondescript backpack and go away. Like that's and that's kind of what happened at least the, the later part of the evening. Uh, I'm not surprised that we haven't even at all discussed the root farm to start the show. That's how things work. But uh, Jeremy, you are the executive director. I am. At the Root Farm, and uh, I want to say Heather, our co-host on the show, was adamant, adamant after she attended uh, attended one of your, uh, the high course, the high road mm-hmm. courses, um, adamant that we brought you on. She could not stop raving about you, talked about it the whole time. Excellent. Um, so I do want to talk about that, but I've already skipped over one part, so I want to get into one thing very quickly. Sure. Jeremy, uh, I want to talk a little bit about you for a second. My okay. My research leads me to believe that you were born in... Constableville, New York? Very thorough research. Yes, wow. thorough research on me. So do you know where Constableville is? No. <laughs> that, was ne- that was next on my research list. I was going to ask you. So uh, about an hour north of here. So here, um, yeah. 10 or 15 miles north of Boonville, up in okay. Lewis County. Nice. I have a, I have a camp in Boonville, actually. Okay. Right in, um, uh, it's on a weird road called Kittner Lane off okay. the Black River, but that's neither here nor there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. So, yeah, <laughs> grew, grew up in Constableville, hmm. and then... Uh, what kind of population are you talking? A couple hundred? A couple hundred. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, is it real, you're talking real rural. No right? stoplights. Hmm. You know, just... Oh, wow. uh, no stoplights. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, born and raised there, and then came to the big city mm. of Utica for college. Uh, went to Utica College and graduated in 1999 from their physical therapy program. Physical therapy, interesting. And then decided to stay in the big city um, for, uh, you know, started working with Upstate Cerebral Palsy and my career and life have just kind of evolved here in Utica. Now, I have to ask, was, uh, it's, a, it's a funny thing you bring it up in that context because um, a lot of people, there's probably a lot more people who are in that line with you who grew up not in Utica but in this sort of like surrounding areas, these places. Do you feel like growing up in that sort of tight-knit Small rural community affected your personality, the way you see the world, like other people. Like, what do you? What did you learn primarily from looking back at your time in like a small rural town? You know, I think I can directly relate a lot of what I'm doing now to experiences that I had mm-hmm. as a child. You know, working on a farm, having parents that had a greenhouse, riding horses. So I've got connections back to um, you know the things that my career have evolved into mm-hmm. doing. Interestingly. You told me when I went through the physical therapy program that I would be able to connect those things <laughs> yeah. to a job. I would have said you were crazy, um, you know. And it's 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 interesting thinking about Utica as the big city. You know, right. people usually joke or laugh mm-hmm. when I say that, but but in all seriousness, you know, mm-hmm. we when you came to Utica, it was a big deal. It mm-hmm. was, you know, it was um, there was almost a. a, 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 a fear of the big city, but also oh, yeah. this, the, you know, it was it was something you got prepared to do yes you know um and then moving here going to college here it, it's like this is a 
it's kind of got a small town feel yeah. with different parts of the city as well. It was something we talked about a lot early on in the history in the in the course of the show, and I've sort of stopped talking about it as much because I said it so many times. But one of the major reasons that a show like this and a company like Made in Utica exists is Utica is a very particular uh, type of city, right? It's a large enough city, sixty plus thousand people. Uh, where between the city and the surrounding areas and all the, uh, the the smaller communities, there's so many people doing interesting, fascinating, cool things, and um, and there's, there's never a, a well to dry up. I never look around in a week and go, I'm never going to find anyone to bring in this week who has an interesting story. And yet, uh, it's not so big where if I want to talk to you about the root farm, I have to like I can just call you. I mean, like, there's a there's a nice difference between like. Large enough where there's lots of culture and interesting things going on, but small enough where it still retains that neighborly quality. I don't know if this show works as well in someplace smaller or someplace larger, right. to be honest. Yeah, I, you know, uh, I had friends in college who said, mm. you're staying in Utica mm. after you graduate? Absolutely. And to see, you know, from when I graduated college to yeah. where we are today, it's amazing um, kind of how, how the city has changed. And mm. I love where where we're heading with things. It's, it's funny, too, because... Uh, I'm not going to date you. You're a little bit older than me. Not as much older than me than you think you are. Um, but I was explaining this to my my middle school kids and high school kids yesterday and I took them on this field trip. I was like, you guys are a little too young to, to really understand the period of time in Utica where it did feel like this was, like no one wanted to come here anymore, right? And it yeah. does palpably feel different now, but they were blown away when I was like, there were bumper stickers that said, last one out of Utica, turn off the lights. And that was a thing for a long time. And right. I'm glad that we've turned the corner on that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I've got friends from college who come back mm-hmm. now and say, man, I wish I wish Utica was like this when we were in school. There was, yeah. It would have been so much more things that we could have done. Right. I think there was I think there was a lot of stuff going on then too. We just you know had our eyes closed to it or, yeah, or didn't we, want to admit it. You know? I think there's a there's a there is a little bit of a East Coast cynicism that exists with New Yorkers in general. Not just Utica. I think New Yorkers have like this idea. We're a little it's that cold weather. We was freezing when you walked over here. We're a little cynical. I think it's <laughs> yeah. in our bones a little bit. Um, so I got to ask you. Um, this is your I think you want to say, well, pull off on that for one second. You said you said physical therapy in college. Yes. Utica College, at the time, what was your plan with that physical therapy degree? Did you want to go into like rehab and do you want to get in the medical field or did you know you wanted to be involved in something a little different even then? You know, I uh, got into physical therapy because my mom had some back issues mm-hmm. and I saw her going through rehab. Right. So I think when I went into the program, I very much had the mindset that I was going to do, I think like most physical therapists, you know, sports medicine right. or yeah. uh, rehab or outpatient therapy. Um, and because of my clinical experiences, the the, the, the different rotations mm-hmm. that we went through, that very quickly changed. I was in an outpatient clinic in Syracuse for one of mm-hmm. my, my um, programs, one of my rotations, and, you know kind of got into the workers' comp world, and um, it it just wasn't for me. And my last clinical affiliation actually was doing early intervention in preschool work with upstate cerebral palsy, and I fell in love with working with the kids and found how rewarding it was to work with that population. And was fortunate enough that once I graduated, uh, there was a position available, and... um, 
you know, so it, it, it's definitely a, a passion of mine to work with that population. Uh, we're going to dig into the root farm in just a second. Uh, can you help me to under... I was trying to figure this out as I was going through it. Can you help me to understand the relationship between United Cerebral Palsy and the root farm in general? Sure. Yeah. So there's a parent corporation, um, Upstate Caring Partners. Yeah, I saw and that. Yeah. under Upstate Caring Partners, there are mm-hmm. 11 different nonprofit organizations. Interesting. So Upstate Cerebral Palsy, the Kelberman Center, the Root oh, Farm, yeah. the Central New York Health Homes. Mm-hmm. So all of these, you know, it, it's about consolidation of services. Sure. So as a small nonprofit organization, I can't necessarily afford, mm-hmm. nor should I, or do I want, my own HR person and my own Correct. compliance person and right. my own finance person. So I am able to purchase those services mm. as I use them mm. through the parent corporation. Mm. So if I need to hire somebody, I oh, nice. call up our HR person and you know I buy those services through the parent corporation. Um, so that's really, the Root Farm is an independent, nonprofit organization. We have our own budget, we have our own board of directors, but through that affiliation, we're able mm. to reduce costs and, and um, access, you know, for, for my staff that are working there, you know, better benefits because we're partnering with an organization that's got 2,000 employees. Wait, wait, are you taking care of your staff? What kind of company is this? <laughs> Sorry. Are you taking Sorry. care of your <laughs> We try. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I think my research is correct. You're, this October that we just passed through, this was your second year fully working up there? I think, am I wrong? So this was my second your year. Your second year, right. Yeah. So, so the Roof Farm actually started back in 1999. Okay. So it's I been think. around for a mm-hmm. long time. Uh, was founded by Alice Root. Um, Alice was volunteering actually with Upstate Cerebral Palsy in the mid-90s and kind of mm-hmm. fell in love with um, the, the, the benefits of seeing the kids work with the horses. Mm-hmm. Um, she started the nonprofit organization out in the Vernon area in 1999, and then um, fast forward to 2013, started thinking about retirement herself and didn't want to see the mission and the organization that she had worked to build and create kind of die. Yeah. Um, so she connected back with Upstate Cerebral Palsy. We were still running uh, therapeutic programs ourselves, and said, are you interested in mm. bringing this organization in under the parent corporation? And what, that was actually the thing that I found uh, not challenging, but a little like daunting when I started writing up this, uh, this interview for us. There's so many things that you guys offer in terms of programs and uh, between the high ropes courses and you're talking about the uh, equine assisted therapy. Uh, there's so much stuff that's listed on here. Do you have like a elevator byline you have to give people when you go and talk to them? I'm like, here's a breakdown. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so as I think of the root farm, I really think of it as three divisions. You mm-hmm. know, we have our equine division, our agriculture division, and our recreational programs. Mm-hmm. So the, the elevator speech is that, that, that we're trying to create unique programs and experiences for people of all abilities using equine, agricultural, and mm-hmm. recreational experiences. And did you guys get, I think I read this correctly, did you guys get some sort of grant from New York State and that's why the there was an expansion? That ha- is that recent, the expansion you guys have done? So, so yes and. Yes and, uh, yes okay, but. yeah, yeah. Um, so, so 2013 was right. when Alice stopped, um, kind of started, uh, stopped running the facility out in the Vernon area. Um, we looked to build a new facility. So in 2015, we built a new equine center, mm-hmm. and that was all built with um, local dollars, donor dollars, and um, you know the community foundation supported that. There was a great support great in the community yeah. in order to build this new facility. 
as part of building that new facility, we're now on 112 acres, and we decided that, that the equine programs are still at the core of our mission, but there's a lot more experiences and opportunities that we can do at the farm. Um, 2016 is when we added all of our agricultural programs and really grew and expanded those programs. And then 2017, that was when we received a major grant from the New York State Department of Health, mm -hmm. and that gave us the opportunity to expand uh, with the ropes course and a right. number of other programs. And that was actually, the ropes course is what I want to say Heather, our co-host, uh, was initially brought her in there, and that's what she was talking to us about. I looked at some of the, the picture work. That's It's really... Excellent, amazing work you guys have done down there. How much of a hand did you have in like, the design and all of that? So we worked, um, it, it was myself and a couple of other yeah. uh, staff at the farm who had the idea of doing a ropes course. Mm -hmm. um, and I connected with a faculty member from Utica College, mm -hmm. who's part of the um, Outdoor Adventure Education and Wellness Program. Okay. Um, and she put us in touch with Mike Barker, mm -hmm. who's from Adventure Moss out of Connecticut, okay. who came up, surveyed our property, and... Uh, spent a couple of weeks before we even had funding to do this project to put together a plan for what this course could look like. Yeah. We kind of gave him the, the, the parameters of what we were looking to do and the population we wanted to be able to access this mm -hmm. ropes course. And he designed, uh, gave us a number of different designs that we could then That's pick. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's amazing to think that mm -hmm. in Sequoit, we have the first fully handicapped accessible high ropes course mm -hmm. in the country. And some of the stuff that you guys, have, I looked at some of the pictures, like the accessibility options you have there are amazing. Some of the stuff you really offer for the people there, it's, it's wonderful what you guys are doing. You know, we, it's kind I, of make you feel good a little bit, right? When you uh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, to, to think about the fact that we're giving people the opportunity mm -hmm. to do what anybody else can do, regardless mm -hmm. of their, their inability or their disability or their abilities. You know, we, we try to make sure that people can participate in, in the same sort of stuff you and I can do. I love it. I love it. Um, can I tell you a real city slicker thing about me? You sure. laugh at me? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of the stuff I noticed when I was going through your website, you had a lot of animals, the equine training program. I am low-key kind of terrified of horses. I don't, I don't know if it's like just that I'm not around them enough. I just look at a horse and I think, this thing, this thing could just hit me with its hooves or bite my face off with its giant <laughs> teeth. Like that. And I can tell that, and horses are smart, I've known this because I do my research on things I'm terrified of, uh, it, would, it would most certainly recognize by looking at me that I was terrified of it and it would probably bully me around. And that's why I'm a little concerned about horses. So you need to come to the farm because, you know, we've got some pretty docile horses at the farm. Um, you're not the only one who's, they are big animals. They really yeah. are. So I can understand why why you would be a little uh, intimidated by them. And you're right. Horses have got the ability to read energy and pick up on things. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, some of the horses, not necessarily at the farm, but there yeah. are horses out there that yeah. would take full advantage of your fear. Um, I want to ask you about the agriculture program as well. Uh, sure. I want to say, I was again, while I was doing my research, uh, are you doing, like, connections with, like, local restaurants as well? I saw that, like, was it Modus, the new Modus restaurant yes. you were doing connections Correct. with? Yep. They're great guys. I used to work at uh, Taylor and the Cook okay. with a couple of the guys, so... Is that something relatively new that you've been doing? With the it is. Yeah. So uh, about a year ago, we added a couple of hydroponic greenhouses. Mm -hmm. uh, they're yeah, called that, Freight yeah. Farms. Yeah, yeah. That's what I saw the thing. I was a little curious about that. Yeah. So they're they're forty foot long shipping containers. Huh. Uh, this company out of Boston called Freight Farm actually 
remodels them on the inside and they use uh, vertical growing space. So within a 40 foot greenhouse, we are, excuse me, 40 foot shipping container, we've got about two acres worth of growing space. It's a completely and totally controlled environment. So we're able to do production year round within mm. the greenhouse. So right now we're, our main focus is on lettuce or mm. leafy greens. Mm. Um, just picked up Modus as a restaurant. We're yeah. really excited about that. They're great guys. Um, Rosa's Cafe downtown. So oh, yeah. we've got a couple of other restaurants that we're yeah. working with. Um, and it's, you know, that particular project is getting us to employment mm. for folks who typically face barriers to employment. Right. Um, as we were looking at in this area, you know, it's 16 degrees out right now. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's difficult to get to year-round employment in the agriculture world. You know, that's a four- to five-month program when you right. think about it. Um, to bring in somebody who's got a barrier to employment, working with a job coach, in order to bring them in, get them trained, you know, by then it's probably the end of the yeah. growing season and you've got to lay them off. Mm -hmm. So the freight farms give us the opportunity to do year-round employment mm -hmm. um, and are a really cool way to provide well, really, fresh local produce year-round. It's an interesting progressive idea of doing it, too. You know what I mean? It, it sets you apart a little bit doing it that way. Um, so i got to ask you this just because I'm a history nerd. Um, I brought my kids down here a couple months ago for a uh, summer program. Were you speaking at the U.S. Botanical Garden in D.C. not too long ago? I was. It's a beautiful place. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's amazing. It's... And, and huge honor, you know, at the yeah. steps of the Capitol mm. to be doing a uh, presentation on the agriculture and horticulture programs and the, the educational programs behind what we're doing mm -hmm. at the, the U.S. Botanical Garden. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a great honor. and U.S. Botanical Garden, well, I'm not going to get into politics here, but I'll say this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I will, I'll say this. The U.S. Botanical Gardens was the stop we took after we took a picture in front of the White House. Or more realistically, I offered to take a picture of everybody else in front of the White House. <laughs> um, but the Botanical Garden was the next thing we went to after that, and it pulled me back into being like, wait a minute. I'm in Washington, D.C., surrounded by all these amazing monuments in American history. I need to stop being cynical and just enjoy myself. Yeah. But I love the garden. It was, it was so cool, uh, especially that room with the hidden dinosaur face in it. <laughs> so I do want to get into our lightning round questions. Uh, before we do, uh, are there any upcoming events or any, uh, any programs you'd like to promote while you have a second? Uh, I'll, I'll link everything after we're done here anyway. But Yeah, you know, winter, things slow down a little bit. Yeah. Um, this time of year, we're going to be looking to run. So we, we've got some snowshoes, and, oh, nice. and we'll probably doing, uh, as we look ahead to, to what the weather looks like over the winter, some zip line programs, mm. and um, some of these, these recreational programs can be run year-round. Mm. Um, you know, so no big events coming up right now, but come spring, we're going to be opening up the ropes course, the zip line, and the rock climbing wall to the general public to come out and use. So start looking for that to happen come May, you know, April, May, depending on when the weather breaks for the spring. Um, and you know, groups and team building experiences on the ropes course. Equine program runs year round. We've got a heated arena, so those programs are running all the time. So, you know, check us out on Facebook and stay connected as those events uh, come up uh, in the, the near future. And the website is rootfarm.org. Is that the... Right. Yes. Wonderful. Jeremy, uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I think it's time for us to dig into our lightning round questions. These are the same five or six questions we've asked everybody who's been on the last hundred or so odd episodes of the show. 
Jeremy, we will start like this when you wake up in the morning. How do you take your coffee? Cream. Cream. Only. Just with cream. No <laughs> so sugar, just cream. We debated this on the time. Initially on the show, we had a lot of people who were doing the cream and sugar thing. And then for about six months, I just got like a whole string of people who were like black. If you don't drink it black, you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I should have evolved into drinking it just black somewhere <laughs> along my life, but I, I can't. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I like, I, uh, okay, I'll, I'll admit it. I like it with a lot of cream. You yeah, know? I like a little, nice. it's nice. Yes. It's, it's like a breakfast milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it like that, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so let me, uh, let me ask you this one then. Uh, what was your first automobile? First automobile, I had a. Um, I, I'm completely blanking on it. I can see it. It's maroon. A, a, a Dodge. Is it a Dodge Dart? Dodge Dart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I couldn't remember. <laughs> I, it was such a bad car. I blocked it out of my, yeah, that was my the memory. Best car. <laughs> it was the the passenger side door didn't lock or unlock from oh, the yeah. inside, so I'd have to throw the keys over to the passenger to unlock that's a, the door. That's a power move. Yeah. That's very good. It's a certain time and place. That's all right. Wow. Um, you may or may not have taken your Dodge Dart to see it, but what was your first live music experience? First. Um, Kenny Rogers. Ooh, the gambler. At uh, at the the uh, the odd, and nice. um, there was a, a female artist that was supposed to open, and she was sick, so they brought in this unknown male artist uh, for his first performance, who later hit the charts as Garth Brooks. Really? So one of his first concerts was wow. here in Utica at the I odd know that. Uh, to huh. open for for Kenny. Huh. Love it. Kenny Rogers was like my my grandfather was uh, listened to old school country music, but like even Kenny Rogers was a little more modern for him. He used to listen to like the Andrew Sisters mm -hmm. and like Conway Twitty stuff like that. So I have a little little bit of background. All right, I'm gonna move along. Um, give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Uh, we said we weren't going to talk about politics, but I can't get away from MSNBC and Rachel Maddow right now. That's that's kind of my go-to. I you know it's so disturbing what's happening right now in our country, and I just feel like if we're not informed, then then we can't do anything to try to help the situation. I had a family member who came in who was in town for this dinner I went to last night, and she's from the South, and she voted for Donald Trump, and. I felt bad because she knows for a fact that she is in this sort of location where it's like a liberal bubble and she's surrounded by family and she and really I felt bad because it, it really overwhelmed the ability for us to have conversation. And I and it's horrible and that's my biggest issue. I'm I'm not gonna sit under the soapbox. I I'm with you. I check my politics app on Reddit every ten minutes to see if what outrageous story is broken now that I have to like digest in my head, but I think the biggest issue between now and the earlier voting periods of my life is almost every aspect of my life now, whether it's even like the television we consume or like the books we read or where we go, is somehow tinged by politics now. It wasn't like this. It right. never was. At least not that I remember. Right. You know, and I just wish we could have a, a dialogue about it. Yeah. You know, people are so, they're such extremists on yeah. either side yeah. that, that, as you said, you're, yeah. you're afraid to have the conversation. I wish yeah. where we could just get to a point where we could have dialogue and, and at least recognize that there's yeah. another point of view. 
I think a lot of that too is we've become over the last 15, 20 years really uh, comfortable with this Facebook uh, social media mentality where it's like, I'm going to say my opinion and the only people who are going to respond to it are my people who like me or agree with me. And then people who don't like me, I'm just going to block them. So I never learn, you never learn to engage with anybody anymore because you can just sort of live in your own little echo chamber and just reverberate like whatever you want to hear. And it's sort of killed discourse. I notice it with the students. Like a lot of my kids can't debate about anything anymore. They just, it's right because I was told it's right and that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow, I got heavier than I thought it was. <laughs> all right, move on. Um, Sorry about that's that. That's okay. It's all right. Uh, so this is a tough one. This one stumps people a lot. So if you want, I'll give you a minute on this one. Okay. But uh, if you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your family, oh. yeah, that's the part that throws people off, who would it be and why? Wow. I can give you a minute if you want to come back to that one. Yeah, not the family part. That's, not the fa- that's the part that throws people off. Um, I purposely added that because everyone just says, like, my grandparents, my dad, yeah, yeah, and like, yeah, stuff like that. But uh, I'll come back to it if you want. Yeah. I'll move to the next one. All right. Uh, you are on the world's biggest uh, grocery store cereal aisle, and you have full autonomy. What is the first cereal you're taking off the shelf in your fantasy grocery store? Cocoa Krispies. Nice. Good man. Yeah, Good man. The chocolate milk afterwards. It's strong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you want another minute for dinner stuff? I I can come back to it if you want. Yeah, I'm stumped on that one. All right, well, I'll give you this one. Uh, Last time, uh, last week on here, we had another um, young father in, and I don't have any kids, but a lot of our listeners here in the studio are young parents. Uh, So a little dad corner here. What's some advice you have for, uh, for young fathers here in upstate New York? Anything you've learned over your time of being a father you can share with us? enjoy it because it just goes way too fast i remember when when we were expecting and all of the cliche things that i heard you know enjoy every minute and it's the best thing you you know you'll ever do and i thought it's gonna be really cool and i don't know where four years went you know (laughs) it it is um it's terrifying how fast things move and um just just Trying to step back and enjoy it a little bit. Do you remember when you were young and you thought everything moved too fast? Or everything moved too slow? And now as you get older, it's like you look up and it's a week and a half later and you're like, what What happened? Yeah. <laughs> so so my uh, the person I was going to say I'd have dinner with was my grandfather. And oh, yeah. he said uh, to me when I was a kid, you know, I remember, oh, I can't wait for it to be my birthday. Or I can't wait for it to be summer. Or I can't wait for it to be whatever. You know, he said, stop wishing your life away. Um, when you get older, you're going to realize that that it all just moves yeah. way too fast. So just try to try to enjoy a little bit. And I always thought, oh, you're you're crazy. I wish he were here today <laughs> so I could tell him how yeah. right he was. It's it's really amazing. Well, Jeremy, I want to thank you so much for coming in here. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. I have one last question before we leave. Um, besides obviously giving back to the community behind uh, besides your work with united cerebral palsy besides being a great father besides uh being involved with the root farm give me one more thing that you jeremy are passionate about uh passionate about leadership and empowering others to Mm. take leadership roles you know i i'm not about uh, about titles i'm about you know empowering people to 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 do. Hmm. Um, I'm very actively involved with Leadership Mock Valley. I've been on their board of directors for, for nine years, been through the program, and I think it's an amazing way to connect um, leaders to the community and help people see kind of 
what they have yeah. to to offer um, in in various leadership aspects. Jeremy, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your Saturday to come talk to us. It is a real absolute pleasure. Uh, best of luck going forward, folks. It's rootfarm.org. Uh, check it out. Support Jeremy and all his crew there. They're doing great work. We'll be back to the show in just a moment. Thanks for coming to the studio twice. It was uh, great talking to you. Uh, Heather, I put you over real hard for being the person to get me in touch with him. I was like, this is all Heather's interview. She was really nice. Mm. When I went there and got to try out some stuff there, it was cool. Do you want to know a funny story about Jeremy's interview? I didn't know you had an interview guest coming, and I was getting up to go to work, and I heard that you were talking to somebody, and my bedroom is right off the studio door, so I didn't want to like pop up and throw off somebody's (laughs) rhythm in the interview, and I'm trying to figure out who it is to gauge whether I should wait or not. So I was listening to what he was talking about. I had no idea who you were interviewing. I'm listening to stuff he's saying, Googling, trying to figure <laughs> out, I'm like, who the hell is this? I'm listening, I'm like, okay, ropes course for, for disabled people. Okay, I'm looking through and doing different yeah, stuff like that. And I finally figured out who it was, but it took me 10 minutes of Googling while listening. He was a real champ because not only did you have to come out and go to through the studio to go to work, but uh, made you, because Justin Parkinson came down to steal coffee filters in the middle of the interview. And never at any point in time, did uh did he break stride? Who are all these guys with beards <laughs> popping out from behind yeah, he, doors? He didn't even seem like at all confused by any of it. He was totally a real champ. So thank you again, uh, Jeremy. It was awesome talking to you. Uh, hope to hear from you soon. All right, let's get into this week's history lessons. I try to come up with some talking points this week for each history lesson. Oh, yeah. Okay, a little talking point action here for you. And I'm going to say right now, out of uh, out of order because I'm doing a thing for the last one. Okay? All right. On this day, November 13th, 1850, Robert Louis Stevenson is born. Here's your quiz. What did Robert Louis Stevenson write? I know. I know. I don't know. No idea? No. Take a shot in the dark? Um, music. He's an author. I wrote a book. All right. There you go. Kev? Treasure Island. Yes, Treasure Island. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde born. I'm totally right. I always said music. There I am today. (laughs) Thanks for coming, Oh, you can write music. That's true. A person can write music. Thanks for coming, Heather. (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. Uh, what kind of interesting things do we have about him? Well, uh, in 1888, well. his family set off from the South Seas seeking a healthier climate for uh, Stevenson's uh, growing case of consumption. We've talked about consumption on the show in the past. It's just an old-timey term for tuberculosis, consumption. Mm. Uh, the family finally settled in Samoa, where he died in 1894. All right, I'm going to throw this out here. I think there's a cutoff for a story like Treasure Island. I don't know any kids today who think about, like, when they're in their free time imagining, like, what they're doing, using their imagination, they're thinking about pirates. How would you have to update something like Treasure Island to make it accessible for, like, kids today? Well, cast Johnny Depp as the lead, have him play a drunk <laughs> Keith Richards the pirate, and make seven movies that grows billions and billions worldwide, I think would be... Which you would have to do. I, feel, I don't know. I feel like pirate is not something, if you give kids like some time to free reign and some imagination stuff, they're probably superheroes, right? Pirates have changed. There's pirates the, have changed. Superheroes are predominant, but I'm sure plenty of kids have been Captain Jack Sparrow on the playground over the last 10, 15 years. Did you ever read Treasure Island? 
Seems like you might be re- you might have read it. I tried when I was young, but I tried. I was way too young when I tried. There was like an animated special of it that I liked a lot, so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna try to read the book, and it was just way over my head. I was like probably eight or nine years old though. Maybe the cutoff question should be like, at what time when a book is published is it no longer really easy to read for a certain time? Like, this book came out in 1883, like the original edition of it. That's a depends on the book and the style. That's funny because. On my son's books, the yeah. little engine that could is being deleted off there because there's things in there that can't relate to things now. Really? Yeah, and it was just funny. Like there are, I was reading. I go, he'll never know like what a parlor I mean, train is or parlor room of a train. That's true. I have no I idea. These, I don't even think we knew what yeah, parlor like, rooms. Yeah, like so, I only was my grandmother would say, "Going to the parlor." But that's funny with books like that. When's the cutoff? And that's actually one of the books that they're just saying mm. won't be recommended. Which is odd. I love that book. That's yeah. a great book. Um, all right. On this date, November 16th, 1959, Sound of Music premieres on Broadway. Uh, there was a real-life Maria Von Trapp, although she did not have a brood of children and she didn't sing about copper kettles. Uh, the story of the Von Trapp family singers was converted to a Broadway play in 19, uh, 1959. Uh, there was some consternation from the Von Trapp family and their stepchildren because they felt like it didn't represent them. Uh, but whatever. It AK, was, they weren't getting paid. Weren't getting yeah. paid. I Pay stayed me. up there at the Von Trapp a couple years ago. Mm. Yeah? Vermont. It's really nice up there. Uh, it was a huge, uh, it drew huge advanced, uh, huge advanced sales, uh, and although it got tepid reviews at the time, uh, it really was an instant success, and as a matter of fact, the cast soundtrack went on to be uh, one of the top-selling Billboard albums when it was released, selling over 3 million copies. You ever seen the movie, like, Sound of Music? You ever watched it? I feel like we just talked about this. I feel like I'm getting deja vu about Sound of Music. This. I was going to say, I've seen it, like, once when I was kind of young-ish, and that's probably good for me. I've seen it a couple times. I was in it as a kid <laughs> in a play. I wore lederhosen. Uh, let me, I'll, I'll go to a different direction. Have you guys, either of you ever gone to an actual on-Broadway, Broadway play? I have not. You have not. Kevin? Not at Broadway. Not no. only the Stanley Theater. Stanley. No, those are great. I'm saying... No. What would be your interest level in going to a Broadway show? Like, if you were in New York City, 1 through 10, do you have, what's your, give me your ranking, interest in a Broadway show? Uh, on a scale of 1 to free tickets? Free tickets. <laughs> free tickets. I'm, not, I'm probably not going to New York and laying down, I'm sure it's considerable amount of money to go see a huge play on Broadway. It's relatively expensive. How much? A ballpark. What are, you, what are you spending? At least $70, probably. I'm spending, if I'm spending 75 bucks and I'm there for a limited amount of time, Broadway probably falls lower on my list than like going to the Knicks or going to a concert sure. or going to the Yankees or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would go. There would be interest, but it would never be the top of my list. I would have to be on a trip with somebody else who suggested it or really wanted to go. Yeah. Heather, thoughts? Not something I would want to go to. Not something you'd want to go to. No. <laughs> you wouldn't go? No. I don't I don't know. I don't like I don't have interest or patience to sit through these things. I don't know. I get very antsy. <laughs> no, even in a good. movie theater. Like I need to walk around or go do something. I don't know. I can't. I'm sorry. It's okay. I want to disappoint you. I have seen who's disappointed, Heather. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's funny. I've seen about three or four different shows on Broadway proper, right? And I learned something about them. Just because a show is on Broadway doesn't inherently mean it is a good show. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen, most of the Broadway shows I've seen are excellent. They're all, like, got great actors and cast and all that kind of shit. But sometimes it's just like, this is a horrible play. Well, no, like, that's it was, what I'm afraid of. I have to go down to New York and this play terrible. And then I paid this money and wasted all my time for New York. I could have done something better. It's true. It's true. It's a big gamble. You better hope it's something good like Book of Mormon or something that's like a guaranteed win. You know what I mean? I'd go see Book of Mormon, though, for sure. All right, moving on. November 17th, 1973. Uh, President Nixon famously insists that he is not a crook. That was not a great 
uh, Nixon on this day in 73 in the midst of the Watergate scandal. Uh, Nixon tells a group of newspaper editors gathered at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida, that he is not a crook. Uh, at one point during the discussion, Nixon gave a morbid response to an unrelated question about why he chose not to fly with backup to Air Force One while traveling. He told the crowd that by taking just one aircraft, he was, quote, saving money, energy, and possibly time spent in his impeachment process. If this one plane goes down, they don't have to impeach me. Um, Nixon was trying to be funny, but in fact, the scandal was taking a toll on his physical and mental health. Uh, in the book, All the President's Men, Nixon was described at the time as being a, quote, prisoner in his own house, secretive, distrustful, combative, sleepless, constantly tweeting all the time, calling people out for being <laughs> short and fat, just being angry at the media. Um... His protests of innocence with regard to the Watergate cover-up would eventually erode by a relentless federal investigation. Uh, Richard Nixon resigned on August 8th, 1974. Mm -hmm. So let's see. It took from November 73 to August 74. So you're talking almost another full year? It took a very long time. Hmm. Something to keep in mind, like the investigation we're going through is moving very slow, it seems. Yeah. But it's actually going very fast yes. in the scale of like investigations of this scale. It's basically through, uh, they're trying to speed run Watergate. Pretty much, they're just trying to blaze through it as fast <laughs> as they can. Well, the second speed running stupid Watergate. It's easier the second time through once you've already seen how to do it. Um, it's just funny. I, the only thing I wrote down here, and I, I don't really have anything more besides this, is just parallels. I go back and I and I don't know if it's just that I'm looking for them because I'm fascinated or they're just easier to spot now, but I find so many weird parallels between like old political stuff from back in the day and today. I watched an episode of The Simpsons last week. If you guys have the FX app or whatever, download go watch the episode Sideshow Bob Roberts. It's in uh, episode five. It's where Sideshow Bob runs for Republican mayoral candidate of Springfield. And there's some jokes in that episode which hit a lot of points today. And I'm like, man, does everything just repeat itself? I think maybe that's it. It's all the algorithm. It's all just repeats itself over and over again. I don't know. It's just how people are. It's just it's, like how yeah. society is. It's, is that, gonna, it's probably going to happen again. And then like 30 years from now, we'll have another president who's just a complete... <laughs> yeah, in 30 years, we'll lose interest in politics <laughs> yeah. again, and then yep. this will happen again. Yep. All right, very good. Okay, this is kind of a weird one, but I remember it personally. I'm going to give you guys a name, Okay. On November 13th, 1999, this musical performer was on SNL. His name was Chris Gaines. What can you guys tell me about Chris Gaines? Anything you want to know. Anything you want to know. You know about Chris Gaines? Yeah. What about you? Heather, you know about Chris Gaines? I don't know. Is he on American Idol? <laughs> no. 1999. So. Oh, yeah. That was weird. <laughs> uh, was that show not on then? It was like 2001. I don't know. Was it? Yeah. It's all... Hmm. What if I told you that the host of the show that night, not the musical guest, was country music singer Garth Brooks? Oh, that's right. That was Garth Brooks when he went all, like, like, um... He tried to have an alter ego. Yeah, he had, like, music. eyeliner, black hair. <laughs> yes. Yes, now I remember. Uh, so, I Chris, according... <laughs> I got it. Uh, so, according to the official biography that Garth Brooks wrote for his alter ego, Chris Gaines was a former Grammy-winning and seasoned rock veteran staging a mid-career comeback after nearly 10 years off after a string of 80s hits, including collaborations with Paul McCartney and Bob Dylan, among others. In fact, Chris Gaines was Garth Brooks in a black wig and glued-on soul patch, the biggest country music star in the world, pursuing his dream of being a rock star in his highly developed alter ego. So he went on Saturday Night Live in 1999. I remember this because I watched it specifically. Uh, 
he played it very straight, and it kind of became a running joke. Apparently, the initial idea was they were going to make a movie about it, and then that never came to fruition. Um, however, that Chris Gaines song that he performed, Lost in You, did actually chart on the Billboard Top 40 pop charts. So even though he's had 100 million country records, uh, sold 100 million of them, he does actually have one lone pop music hit under the name Chris Gaines. thought that was weird. If you had a musical alter ego, what would you? What genre would you try and go to? I would just. I would take a. I would take a first ego. <laughs> first. I suppose. I would. I would like to be in a position where I've got to hide my fame. Um, I don't I know. I would be Cindy Lauper in the eighties. Cindy Lauper in the eighties yeah. would be strong. Yeah. So I was thirteen years old. I was visiting my sister at, uh, I guess, in New York City when she was living down there, and I remember watching this episode of Saturday Night Live with her and my mom on the couch. And all I remember is that there was a skit where Garth Brooks was dressed in drag and he was playing a French hooker. And it was on a game show called Old French Whore. And I, it was the first time I'd really ever heard the word whore used in a sentence so many times in front of my mom. <laughs> and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Now you hear it regular. No, yeah, now I hear it all the time in casual conversation. All right, on this Who day. Are you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> on this day, November 17th, 2003. Arnold Schwarzenegger, actor and former bodybuilder, is sworn in as the 38th governor of California uh, in the state capitol in Sacramento, defeating Governor Gary Davis in a special recall election. Um, this was a weird time. Remember when we thought this was the weirdest political office that would ever be held, briefly? <laughs> uh, he's a committed Republican at the, in 86 when he got into uh, politics, married uh, broadcast journalist Maria Shriver, uh, and he remains one of... In, uh, he still remained in politics until just recently, right? He's still sort of around, I guess. He was no, he's in the Apprentice. He went on the Apprentice after Trump went into politics. That's right. He ruined the ratings. Yeah. It was his fault. All his fault. Do you remember where he announced that he was running for governor? It was a public forum. It was a television show. No idea. Jay Leno. Jay Leno. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, funny. Hulk Hogan also went on Jay Leno and said he was running for president. That didn't work out for him so well. All right, and last but not least, this is our final history lesson. This will go into our thing for the week. November 14th, 1850. Moby Dick was published, uh, and it was not particularly considered a hit at the time. Did you ever read Moby Dick or watch the movie, Kev? Yes. Did you like either or? Yeah. Moby Dick is uh, is pretty cool. Um, I always dug... I like, I like the idea of Moby Dick. I don't know if I've ever sat down and tried to dig through all the novel. I definitely watched the movie with my grandfather when I was a kid, and I was like mm-hmm. kind of... I was into it. Remember the illustrated classics they used to sell in the grocery store? Yes. I had an illustrated classics of Moby Dick, for sure. Um, let's see here. What did I have? Again, well, I won't dig through all the facts. Point is this. Uh, Herman Melville was not famous for this book when it came out. Matter of fact, it wasn't until years after his death uh, that the book became famous. Matter of fact, his last book, Billy Budd, wasn't even published until after he was dead. And it got me thinking uh, about a couple things. One... People who didn't, well, I'm going to go to that second. First, I have some interesting facts about Moby Dick. Are you ready for some interesting Moby Dick facts? Do it. Uh, I'm along for the ride. All right. Did you know that Moby Dick was actually inspired by two real whale attacks that happened? Yes. All right. Uh, It was a real-life whale named Mocha Dick, named after the Chilean island of Mocha, uh, a bino sperm whale from, when was this? It was a long time ago. And then also in 1820, there was another whaling attack in Nantucket, a ship called the Essex, which we'll talk about again Later. Um, what else was there? I had other stuff. Oh, how many copies of Moby Dick do you think were purchased during Melville's lifetime? Very few. Yeah, it's a very small number. 
170. Uh, Haley, what are you shot? Thousand. Three thousand seven hundred and fifteen. By comparison, his first novel, which is something called Type or Typey, because it has two E's, sold three times that many. Did you ever hear of that novel before? We just talked about it right now. Uh, when reading about Herman Melville on Wikipedia, mm. but not actually. He was so unfamous uh, when he passed away that the obituary misspelled the title of Moby Dick uh, in his obituary. That was the New York Times obituaries. In 1891, however, Moby Dick was reprinted. This time around, critics started to take it more seriously. Acclaimed author Carol Van Doren called it the greatest sea romance in the whole of literature in the world in a 1921 essay. And within the next few decades, uh, Moby Dick became usually, uh, universally recognized as an American classic. Uh, and finally, do you know that Starbucks Coffee is named after one of the main characters from Moby Dick? Mm. Yeah, Mr. Starbuck, Ahab's first mate, who is an often ignored voice of reason. What's funnier about that is the, uh, they originally wanted to call the coffee house company Pequod, which was the name of the ship. Uh, and then the co-founder, uh, Terry Heckler, said, no one's going to drink a cup of Pequod. Uh, and that's Which why they, a good point. they a wouldn't fair. be where they are today with that name. <laughs> so there you go. There's some fun Moby Dick facts. But here's a couple of Herman Melville things. Got me thinking of authors who were famous after uh, they passed away. I'm going to run through a couple of them real quick if you got any. You ever read any Franz Kafka? Yes. <laughs> Franz Kafka was hardly known during his lifetime, published a few things. He ordered his friends to burn his manuscripts when he died. Unfortunately, uh, his friends completely ignored him. So that's why we still have Kafka. You guys know who John Kennedy Tool is? I wrote a book called The Confederacy of Dunces. Uh, he tried to sell it for many years before he committed suicide in 1970. Eleven years later, uh, it was published by his mother and friend. It went on to win the Pulitzer Prize in 1981. Uh, Henry David Thoreau just liked to live out in the woods and ponder the benefits of solitude. So it kind of made sense that he wasn't really famous. A big Thoreau guy. Oh, yeah, big <laughs> fan. It seems like he's the Ron Swanson of writers. Uh, we're getting into a lot of writers with this that I feel like I should have read in English class, like Emily Dickinson. I read no Emily Dickinson. Uh, but again, makes sense because she never really left her room uh, at like professional levels, like just never left. Uh, she published a few things, but it wasn't until after her death when her family actually found piles and piles of unpublished poems. Uh, she'd been like a recluse for such a long time. Uh, Sylvia Platt, another one I never read anything. You ever read The Bell Jar? I think that's an important book, right? I don't know. I didn't read it. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. I actually like H.P. Lovecraft in theory, but I can't read it. It's unreadable nonsense. Oh, yeah? Oh, my God. What's it about? H.P. Lovecraft is basically... Okay. So, as opposed to, like, evil being, like, a vampire or a zombie, H.P. Lovecraft was into, like, cosmic evil. Like, you ever heard of Cthulhu? Mm, but it sounds yeah. interesting. Yeah. Like, cosmic space evil that cares not about the ways of man like really existential evil weird stuff Way right yeah it's it's <laughs> weird like he was a pulp writer in the 1920s which they make a joke and this is pretty funny which is about as prestigious as being like a blogger today right he was famous in like a very weird subculture yeah. but a lot of like writers and stuff see him as a huge inspiration i didn't know this uh do you guys know who steve larson is of the name. Uh, Steve Larson was a successful journalist, and he, uh, after he died in 2004, someone discovered a complete trilogy of novels he had written called the Millennium Trilogy, which is the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh, uh, wow. That trilogy, yeah. Oh, I thought you said Steve. Steeg. Steeg. yeah. Uh, his final novel, The uh, Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest, will become the best-selling book in the United States in 2010. And then Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, I read some Poe. I, it's fine. He was fine. 
You ever read Edgar Allan Poe? I was in an Edgar Allan Poe play when I was oh. a kid. Yeah. Murders of the Rue Morgue. You know who the killer was? It was a monkey. It's a, it's a true story. Read if you ever spoil that story for all you people. Spoil that for 200 year old story. <laughs> all right, moving on from history lessons. I'm sure you guys are pleased. Oh, uh, breaking news for Kev Aaron Judge won the Rookie of the Year. Shout out to Yankees uh, Rookie of the Year, Aaron. I love it. Okay, do you guys want to talk about Snapchat? There's some interesting tech corner stuff we can talk about Snapchat if you'd like. Do it up. Have you ever really... you Snapchat person at all? No. I tried it. I just never got into it. What's your biggest issue with Snapchat? I just don't... I don't... I tried it. I don't know. I didn't like it. Did you not... Well, I just don't have enough time to dedicate to always putting videos of... I don't know. I just didn't... Hmm. I didn't There's like a lot Snapchat. of critiques for it. They're not doing particularly well at the moment for a couple of different reasons. Kev, you, have you ever attempted really to dig into Snapchat like as a thing? What do you mean dig into it? Like to be into it. Like I'm into Twitter still, but I'm not into like Snapchat. I can't post it. I always sort of forget it exists. It's never no, it doesn't. That. It doesn't serve a, unless somebody's directly communicating with me or vice versa. It doesn't serve a function for me. Mm. That's all. You know what I mean? I just I don't care to share at that level that I'm taking like video clips wherever I, mean, I am or whatever I'm doing. Sharing everything. Yeah. On I've just got no. It's got no function for me. Uh, so well, Snapchat went public about eight nine months ago, and it has gone very very poorly for him. It's probably one of the worst drop offs that any of the tech companies you've seen in a long time. They lost, uh, according to reports, somewhere about forty million dollars alone just on the Snapchat glasses they tried to uh, they tried to get as a thing going, which has been a huge failure. So far, they've lost four hundred and ninety three million dollars, which is outrageous. Uh, which is funny because like five years ago, Facebook tried to buy them for like four billion, and they said nah. Big mistake. Always take the money when Zuckerberg shows up. I feel like that's the lesson learned here. If Zuckerberg shows up, it, Mark, Mark, listen. <laughs> I will take whatever money you want for this show. Any, any money. I, I love the show, but if you want to offer me anything, I will take it. Um, I was on Facebook a couple weeks ago, and Facebook, I noticed, has basically all the same uh, applications that Snapchat does now. You can do all kind of the same stuff. And Facebook has, like, revenue that keeps going up. Is Snapchat done because people are doing their things better than they are? No, it's not done. It's just not going to be a tech... Not everybody can be Facebook. Right. Uh, Snapchat, if they had tried to stay in their lane, they wouldn't have got their lunch taken so badly by Facebook. But not everybody can be Facebook. They're not done. People will still use them. You know what I mean? Their primary function they started with still exists, and people Mm. will still use it for that, at least. The young generation still use like the younger teenagers are still using it a lot too because they want to show everything that they're doing so one of the well that's the thing one of the knocks that they have on it is like yes they have this particular niche market and i see it in like the middle school and the high school like those kids love snapchat but like my mom picked up snapchat because she heard someone talk about it and she did not understand how to use it it's not a particularly user-friendly pick up and use app that's Mm -hmm. one of the problems with getting that's what I, I got on. I'm like, I'm like, I don't understand what I'm doing here. It's intimidating. I'm like, this bit. is way too much. Yeah. Instagram's way easier. Well, that's one of the revamp things they're attempting to try and do is to find a way to make it more accessible to new users where it doesn't. That that's my biggest problem with Twitter. Sometimes, like, I love Twitter, but my Twitter profile I've had it for ten years. It's highly curated, right? Like, I know what's on there, where to look for things. For someone to start right now, it's kind of daunting. It's yeah. a little overwhelming. So. All right, uh, we can stay with, speaking of Twitter, let's stay with this for tech news. Uh, Twitter finally bit the bullet after sort of little will they, won't they, and they've now gone to 280 characters. Kev, you're not on Twitter as much as you once were. Have you been on it all since this 280 edition? Yeah. What are your thoughts on 280? Um, I mean, Twitter is, you know, 
it's sort of a, a dying skeleton company as it is, this will be the death blow, I think. You think so? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, they're already, they've been, they've never made any money. They've been posting losses for years and years. They've been hollowed out and shown to be pretty vulnerable to, you know, people writing bots and people doing different things and sort of harvesting them. And then once they started getting the timelines all jacked up and forcing things in there, yeah. they don't really have any way to sell ads, so nobody wants them. And I think this will be... This will be one of the final one-two punch death blows for them to sort of start to lose relevancy as a platform. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think they're they're trying to throw anything at the wall to see what sticks, but I don't think changing your fundamental paradigm is the way to do it. Mm. I don't think doubling the characters makes anything better. I found it aesthetically not pleasing when I was scrolling no, through. No, it's, it's all of it's terrible. It more like, it's coming more like Facebook, so you can bring more non more nonsense on there. Oh, yeah. If you're just gonna double it, why stop? Yeah. yeah, and then if you're if you're not going to stop and you're not going to put any limit, why have it? Well, it made you consciously think consciously think of like what you're writing to, like make it worth it. Well, that was... you had little limited characters, and that made people interested and wanted yeah. to re- start a conversation with you and go farther We're with it. Now full... you can write a whole book on it. And you're like, oh yeah, okay, let's just. Uh, yeah, I, I don't love it. I've I think one of our Uticast tweets last week while I was promoting the show went over the one forty. So I, I guess I'm is that making me a hypocrite for using the over one forty and criticizing it? No. I think no. it does. I have no. to step down is my position. You stuff was... I criticize all the time. I think <laughs> the roads are paved terribly. We still use them. A lot of things are used that you criticize. Hmm. Uh, we went longer than I thought. Do you guys want to talk about the new Taylor Swift thing at all? No? Her album's out. I Sorry. I don't really I don't know much about her... it. Nah. You're the, you're the resident Taylor Swift correspondent, so. Oh, not, listen, there's not much to it. <laughs> oh, hey, well, no. Listen. Well, if you guys think we should talk about it. Well, no, the only thing that happened is she got sort of, there was an interesting story this week. Someone wrote an article about her, how she hasn't taken a political stance one way or the other as an artist. And my question was, that's all well, does she have to? In this current world we live in, can you be a pop artist and not have some sort of political leaning? I don't think you have to. Just like at your job or anything, no one has a right to know. It's your privacy on who you want and what you vote for. And I feel like your the fans of musicians, though, tend to want to know what these people believe. They do. It doesn't mean you have to. Just because somebody wants to know doesn't mean you have to tell them. Hmm. Now, if that means that you end up getting passed by or people prefer people with a little more substantial content to what they're saying and what they represent, that may happen, mm-hmm. but you don't have to say something that's not a direct punishment for not saying anything. I mean, that's that's well within your rights to not say anything. I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't... I, it, You know what I say? I probably wouldn't divulge too much if I was some famous pop star, but oh, I if I had Taylor Swift money, I'd be everywhere. True, I'd be everywhere, right, putting yeah. my opinion, just splashing it all over the place, letting everybody know what time it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, if she doesn't want to, don't let her, but don't be surprised <laughs> if... Uh, people respond more to folks who are talking about things they deem to be more real than you are. Hmm. Uh, I was at work today, leaving the office, and as I walked through the, um, I walked through the teachers' room, I found this paper that said, "Would you rather?" I didn't even have to look it up. It was actually in work. This is what the teachers were asking. They're pretty lame. You want to run through three of them real quick? <laughs> okay. All right, Heather. Eat an apple or eat a banana. Uh, an apple. What? Apple. <laughs> Apple. Kevin? Uh, banana, as long as it's not like some gross green banana. Uh, I like bananas in cereal, but generally not by themselves. I'm going to take Apple in this scenario. Uh, would you rather be stranded on an island or alone or stranded with someone you don't like? Um, I have to be with someone I don't like because I have to talk to somebody. I have to. I'll make him my friend. We'll be friends. I'd say alone, but it might drive me insane <laughs> faster. I feel like I'd have to find out why I don't like them. 
Mm. I feel like you're straightened on an island. Yeah, your, your priorities become recalibrated. Yeah, you start point. putting up a lot more. I'll take the person. The person. Yeah. Eat broccoli or eat carrots? The answer is broccoli. Ooh. It's broccoli. Carrots. Why not both, but pound for pound broccoli? I feel like I can do when more When prepared correctly, I don't think your best prepared broccoli beats your best prepared carrots. But I think on a whole, I'm reaching for broccoli over a carrot if all other things are mm. equal. And then watch soccer or watch football? This is a stupid question. These are just two names for the same sport. It's football. The answer is football. European Wait, style football. Where did football. you find this? <laughs> this was at work. I don't know. I found it at the office. Because he's, he's outsourcing. <laughs> I, I he's outsourcing his podcast work. He's talking to the history thought... teachers. Like, can you print me some articles? He's talking to the other teachers. Can you get me some either ors? He's I outsourcing. They were... He's very smart. I thought of this and... Let's... I think they're good. Heather's being a hater. She's very sleepy today. Drink, She's very tired. Drink Coke or Pepsi. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's pretty late. Uh, Coke. The answer is Coke. And you know what? That's a good debate because I think you like Pepsi better than I like uh, Pepsi. I, yeah. <laughs> be have... invisible or be able to read minds. <laughs> okay, done. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> they're, bo- they're both sleazy and they both fit in with today's American lifestyle. Folks, thank you for joining us. Episode 125. Follow Heather at uh, HeatherWaz1. Follow Kevin underscore Kevin Sullivan. Follow me at SF Doom, or just follow the show at Uticast. We are also on Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, MaidenUtica.com. Go to Uticast.com for all episodes and back episodes. Download the Handshake app. Listen to it there. Do it all. Sayonara, humanoids. Always and forever. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. Yeah. And I'm done.